Welcome to the Farcast. Over 200 episodes and still going strong, bringing you experts and insiders to help you navigate the investing landscape. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week, February the 10th. Are you ready for Valentine's Day? I wonder if Jay Powell is ready for Valentine's Day. I wonder what the appropriate gift for the Fed chairman will be this Valentine's Day. I think maybe a half dozen roses because you can no longer afford a full dozen roses with the rate of inflation around here. Perhaps a half dozen roses or three or four roses would send the chairman the proper message. We saw our CPI number this morning up seven and a half percent year over year. That is a really hot number, ladies and gentlemen. We have three experts joining us, of course, this morning. Kenny Polkari is going to talk uh, markets as he always does. He's also going to talk to us and try and explain to me why he blamed the inflation of the 70s on Jimmy Carter. It wasn't Jimmy Carter. It was Arthur Burns and it was uh, Jimmy and it was uh, President Richard Nixon, who who really pressured Arthur Burns to keep rates low for a long time. And we got that fallout double digit, 15, 16, 17 percent interest rates in the late 1970s during the Carter administration. That was all caused by Nixon pressuring Burns to keep rates low so that Nixon could get reelected. And we can see the peril of politicizing the Federal Reserve. You got to leave these guys alone, folks. You can you, you can yell at them, but you have to leave them alone. You can't politicize the Fed. So uh, I'm going to ask Kenny about that. Dan Mahaffey, we're going to talk about what's going on with all these trucks on the Canadian border. And we're also going to try and figure out what's going on in Ukraine and what's happening to the Republican Party. Do you still have to swear allegiance to Donald Trump if you're going to be a real Republican? What does that mean for the November 2022 election? We'll see. It doesn't sound like Mitch McConnell or Mike Pence are willing to make those uh, oaths of fealty uh, to the president, past president here. Uh, what does that mean inside the Republican Party? And then uh, a terrific opportunity for all of us, my friend Jenny Harrington from Gilman Hill Advisors, CNBC contributor, one of the smartest and nicest people you're ever going to get to talk to, a Farcast fan favorite, joining us for segment three. We had this hot CPI number this morning, the 10-year treasury up around 198. We haven't hit that 2% level yet, but it looks like certainly we could, and it's just a I mean, there's really not much difference here. We're seeing the yield curve flatten. Short rates are coming up, and we know that yield curve inversions are a bad sign for people who worry about recessions. The, when you see these rates go up and the anticipation of rates go, going higher, and this certainly pushed rates higher, and the Fed uh, more likely uh, to continue to act, and, and, and who knows, maybe we'll even see 50 basis points on this first rate hike. I doubt it, but maybe. Uh, what you see is the tech stocks trade off, uh, those discounted cash flows for those really high flyer companies come down. Now, they take the babies out with the bathwater very often. So watch the NASDAQ. Uh, those futures have fallen over 200 points. I think we're under a 200 point decline here. That'll be something of a trend. And I, as I've said, starting back in the fall, I believe that this trend towards value and balance sheets really mattering again. And indeed, a stock pricker's market will be with us. So let's find about, out about all of this and get started right now. 
Kenny Pokar is one of our favorite guests, of course. Hey, Kenny, welcome back. Glad you're with us this morning. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's always a pleasure. I can't wait for today's conversation. Uh, today's conversation could be good. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, and we and we got Mahaffey coming up. I got Jenny Harrington coming up. This is a great forecast uh, lineup. And it all starts with you, KP. So the markets have been volatile. Earnings have been good. Tell me uh, what you're thinking about where we are. And the Fed hasn't even started yet. No, the Fed hasn't started. But what's interesting, if you notice what's been happening over the last couple of days, is you get different Fed voices, mouthpieces coming out, trying to calm the angst created in the market by the big investment banks, right? Yesterday morning, it was Rafi Bostic. Then yesterday afternoon, it was Loretta Mester talking about, you know, five, six, and seven rate hikes is probably like lighting your hair on fire. No reason to do that. And 50 basis point increases is probably not happening. Although everything's on the table, he tried to he tried to position it as such that the Fed was going to be methodical. They were going to be slow. They weren't going to be overreactive. And she tried to do the same. And we've heard that now uh, uh, over the past couple of days as markets have they've tried to calm markets on. And look what's happened. Markets have gone from the lows three weeks ago to almost you know piercing uh, piercing through all resistance levels and trend line resistance levels as they as the market adjusts to what this new environment is going to be. Now look, I think it's great. I'm bullish on America. I'm still in the camp that I think it's going to be a little bit turbulent because um, I think when they, like you said at the very beginning, they haven't even started to raise rates. They've certainly jawboned rates higher because we see with the 10 years now kissed 1.96 uh, two days ago. Although while it's backed off, it's right up there. And uh, I think it's going to, I think it is going to create a little bit of turbulence. It's not the end of the world, but I think people just need to be prepared. So here's, here's what I think, Kenny, because you had suggested before that, uh, Perhaps the Fed was sending these messages through Goldman Sachs and Morgan yep. Stanley and maybe even Bank America, suggesting we were going to have these more rate hikes and that that was a way to broadcast. And so I'm thinking somebody spoke out of turn. I'm thinking maybe somebody at the Fed who might have been a little more hawkish was trying to advance an agenda and didn't check with the rest of the governors because these two are clearly walking it back. And it's a message much more in keeping with what I think Jay Powell has been saying and even Bostic was saying a quarter of a, of a, of a point. So uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling that the, that made me feel a lot better, basically, the walk back a little bit, because, because I think that the Fed's real risk here is that they overshoot, they overstep. When you see, basically, uh, that rents are still in the process of going up and costs are going up to average Americans, and student loan payments are going to have to start being made coming up, the expenses of the average American, he's going to be using his income uh, to pay for a lot of these other bills and not on goods and services. So I, I think that the, the real in growth in inflation could be peaking just as the Fed is hitting some surge in raising rates, and that will be the mistake. So if they move a little more slowly, I don't think it would be a mistake for them to move slowly. No, and I think, you know, you, you make a good point, right? Because I do agree, and I do think that the Fed does use those banks at times to float an idea, whether it's the banks, whether it's non-voting members of the Fed, to get out there to float an idea, to see what the reaction is in the markets, how are investors reacting, how will the market take it? So I do think that that is absolutely the way. But to your point, either they got too aggressive, right? All the banks started coming out calling for six, seven, and eight rate hikes, they were tripping over each other trying to call more rate hikes than the guy before. So it got to be a little bit ridiculous, in my opinion. We saw the markets really back off. And then the Fed, you know, 
figured, like you said, you know, maybe maybe we push it a little too far, and they are in fact trying to ro uh, roll it back. And now look, as they roll it back, look what stocks have done. They've gotten a little bit more used to the idea. Now instead of six or seven rate hikes, well, wow, if we only get three or four, that's a win. So let's go. Stocks. Well, all you in, know, right? but you know, but the deal, of course, is that markets are pricing mechanisms. We price. Uh, information and future expectations. And as I've said, look, what we're doing is we're pricing a transition in monetary policy and a transition between pandemic to endemic. We're, we're coming out of this COVID thing again. We hope that Lucy holds the football this time, right? I mean, you know, we thought we were doing it over the summer and then we got this, uh, uh, you know, uh, variant D. We got uh, whatever the Delta thing was. And then we got this Omicron thing. And I hope they run out of letters. Uh, uh, Greek I don't think letters they're going to run out of letters, this, but that's for this thing. stuff. I mean, I want them to run out of enough of this stuff, but people are forcing their way back no matter what. So, so these two transitions, plus what's going on internationally, this is a lot of information for markets to price. And I think markets, of course, are doing a pretty good job. And underneath all of this, Kenny, earnings are awfully positive. I mean, you can say, okay, they didn't add as many subscribers. They didn't have as much growth. They've still got growth. You've still got Meta, Facebook growing at 20%, for God's sakes. 16 times next year's earnings. Really? Is that a disaster? You got to tell me why this is such a disaster, KP. No, it's not a disaster. And that's your point, right? Because earnings have, in fact, held up, although, like you said, slower than it was in the last quarter. But we expected that. That was all part of the conversation. By the way, the same way that today's CPI report is all part of the conversation. But, you know, the markets have been so skittish and nothing in one of these... Uh, and any of these reactions is going to surprise me. But, you know, Kenny, the one thing you and I are going to do, ladies and gentlemen, when you talk to old guys like us, <laughs> go ahead and ask us the key things we look at. Uh, I ask all my other money manager buddies and the ones who've been doing this, what do you look at? You're going to, as soon as you see those numbers, Kenny and I are looking at the 10-year treasury. I right. promise. That's what we're watching. That 10-year treasury shoots above 2%. We know what's going to happen with stocks. And we're watching the dollar. And there's also a little disconnect here with the dollar. The dollar's been falling a little bit as rates have been going higher. That won't last, folks. That's an equation that's pretty well bound at the hip. Hey, Loretta Mester is terrific. And I'm going to be speaking with her, Kenny, at the University of Delaware for the annual economic forecast. Yep. Uh, coming up on the 24th. It's free. It's a luncheon presentation. She's going to speak for 20 minutes. And then uh, we have a couple of uh, other speakers. I'm one of the two other speakers. Uh, and um, and I, I speak for about 10 minutes. And then I host the Q&A. And, right. and it's live online Q&A. Uh, University of Delaware, Department of Economics. It's a speech I've been honored to give now for about 12 years in a row. She's wonderful. This is the second time we've had President Mester back with us, but she's solid as a rock. I got to tell you, she's just- She is. Oh, no, she is. And I have a lot of respect for her. And I thought her comments yesterday were exactly in line, where yep. she said she sees no compelling reason for a 50 basis point increase. And listen, I hope she's right. I hope oh, she's I right. I do too. And I, so, and, and Hillary Province, who is fabulous, is going to be the real estate expert talking about the real estate economy. And when you get all of us together, you're going to learn a lot. I think people really learn a lot in spite of me. So, uh, in spite, in spite, in spite of me. Uh, so, hey, Kenny, so uh, I, I, I still think in 25 basis points in March, if, if, if you want to bet, uh, you, you know, a spaghetti dinner at um, uh, Olive Garden, uh, okay. I, you know, <laughs> Well, look, I, I know you Italians like- all, I've uh, never Garden. been to Olive Garden and I don't eat spaghetti out of my own house. 
I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I just, but I knew you like Italian at, at Olive Garden. I love Garden. Italian, I mean, but I'm not going to the Olive Garden. That is not Italian. It's Michael, a little fancy for that. you, but oh, I'll, I'll do dinner. <laughs> so I think a quarter point. You still think a half a point? Well, so here's the deal. I think they should do a half a point. Oh, I Lord, do. I've done the camp folks. that they should. I don't think they're going to, though. I don't think they're off. going to. Okay. I think that they should. I'm in the camp that they should shock the system and just do it because I'm still in the camp that inflation is not going to subside. They're okay. now trying to change that narrative, saying, oh, yes, it's going to subside by the summertime. I don't see it subsiding by the summertime, which is why I think they need to do it. Do I think they will do it? I don't think they'll do it. But, I, but I'm in the camp that they should do it. I don't think it would be a bad thing. I, I, I'll tell you, I don't think it would be a bad thing if they went ahead and just and, and went ahead and just did it. Uh, Agreed. I, I think what they want is time to watch the other data. And that's why I think they're going to go slow. Well, OK, but if they shock it with 50, then they can then they can sit back and give it two or three months to see what happens. Right. Because right. it's going to take two or three months for it to start to to start to work its way through the system. Maybe. Oh, you yeah, you, you never see it in two or three months. All you see is the reaction to it. Right. You'll never see that in the day. OK, I'm going to argue with one more thing you said in your in your uh, comments this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, by the way, one of my everyday reads of Kenny, Kenny Polcari's notes. If you don't receive his daily market commentary, send him a note. You can subscribe. It's free. It's like my market commentary. It's free, except I only do mine weekly. I don't know how you do this every day, Kenny, but I read it every day. It's always excellent, but I'm going to argue with something here. Kenny, what, how do we get your market commentary? What do we do? You can, uh, you can go to my website, which is Case Capital Advisors, but it's K-A-C-E, Capital Advisors. And there's a big subscription button right at the top of the page or at the bottom of the page, wherever it is, on the, right in the front page. Case Just Capital click. Advisors. Case Dot Capital com. Advisors. So right. what you got wrong today, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. What, what you got wrong today was you said that the runaway inflation was Jimmy Carter's. It wasn't Jimmy Carter's. It was Richard Nixon's because uh, he pushed Arthur Burns. He pushed Arthur Burns to keep rates low for right. way too long so he could get his skinny ass reelected. And, and that worked for Jim. I mean, that worked for Richard Nixon, but it didn't work for the rest of us. And uh, all, all, of, all of a sudden we had to have uh, the uh, uh, Arthur Burns fix come in. But that's why the Fed can't be political. Right. But That's why Jimmy the Fed Carter cannot had to deal political. with all of it. Right. Jimmy Carter had to deal with all of it. Jimmy Carter had to deal with, you know, the oil embargo. And Jimmy Carter had to deal with the Iranian hostage crisis. It was a disaster. You remember what that time was like. Uh, of course I do. And I, you know, I, 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 I think Jimmy Carter is one of the finest human beings who's ever been president of the United States. And I think he was just not a very good president at all. Uh, I think yeah. he was not a very good president at all and still one of the finest human beings. Uh, you, I don't know how you could ever listen to Jimmy Carter uh, over all these years and not admire his humanity. Truly. You know, I'm not his making passion, a comment on his that. humanity but at as all. as a president, think, not so much. Yeah, I think he's a great human being. I just, I agree with you. I think, I think it was a failed presidency. So we've got more earnings out, Kenny. The earnings are coming in. Uh, about 77, 78% are beating expectations. We're over halfway through. This doesn't look like a disaster. So we've got earnings coming up. We've yep. got markets that are not just soaring. So actually markets are less expensive, less expensive than they were even a year ago on a price to earnings basis. Tell Fred and Ethel what they should be thinking, what you're going to be doing as we get through all this inflation stuff. And we got to go. You're wonderful to be with us. <laughs> So listen, I'm going to say the same thing I always say to you. You need to stick to the plan. You need to talk to your advisor. You need to make sure that individual names that you own are names that you like the story. You like the thesis. 
You're not going to panic because if the broader market sells off, some of these stocks are going to take a hit. If their story hasn't changed, there's no reason to panic. In fact, use that weakness as an opportunity to allocate new monies. Kenny and I are going to be speaking also at a conference in New York together on March the 30th for Hightower Advisors. I'm chief market strategist for Hightower Advisors. Stephanie Link, the chief equity strategist, will be there as well, along with a full day of stars from CNBC and elsewhere. And uh, he and I are going to do that. You know what's going to happen on March uh, 30th, though, Kenny? Uh, one of us is going to be 61 and one of us is still going to be 60. So uh, I'm looking forward to March 30th, where I am still, still as I am now, younger than Ken Wilcox. Well, I hope you're bringing a cake with candles, too, because we need to celebrate. Uh, we should do that. We should absolutely do that. We should absolutely do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny Polkari, we're coming back with Dan Mahaffey. Please stay with us. We're glad you could join us this week on the Farcast. Now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining us now, as he does every week, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and the senior political analyst on the Farcast. Hi, Dan. Welcome back. Hi, Michael. Good morning. We are very glad you are with us, Dan. Uh, a lot going on. As we get through the Olympics, we have Ukraine heating up. They have military exercises. Uh, Putin is having uh, military exercises, conducting them just outside the Ukrainian border. And the Ukrainians have responded and said, we're going to have our own military exercises on our side of the border. And the Ukraines, as I am reading about it, Dan, are really dug in. They're ready for a long fight. And there is some question as to whether uh, President Putin is indeed prepared for the sort of long fight. I don't know if it would be Afghani-esque. No one has won in Afghanistan. No one. The Russians tried it. We've tried it. Everybody's tried to do something in Afghanistan. Nobody wins in Afghanistan. I, could the situation be the same in Ukraine? Well, I think we have to remember and, and not underestimate the amount of force that Vladimir Putin could wield uh, or apply to the Ukrainians as he would if he might invade. Uh, certainly, you look at how they're dug in, that reflects the fact that they face overwhelming Russian artillery, Russian ballistic missiles, Russian rocket artillery. Uh, they have to dig in because that's their only chance of probably surviving at the outset of any conflict. Uh, beyond that, though, the, the Russians are looking at the, these exercises peak over the next week. Uh, you have to think of the dynamics, too, that most of their conscripts, their terms are up in April, although this is a far more professional force than it used to be. Uh, the timeline makes me think that these next couple of weeks are really the crux. Uh, we've seen the diplomacy, the, the you know, I think the iciness that was shown to the British foreign minister this morning, uh, the relative iciness shown to French President Macron. Uh, Putin is also dug in on his uh, demands. And a lot of this is to pull back NATO to a point that we would not find acceptable, nor would the other members find acceptable. Uh, so for now, uh, I think it's continuing to monitor this. But again, do not underestimate that Vladimir Putin uh, would be the kind of person who would uh, perhaps level cities or do things of of massive destruction. Look at what has happened in Syria. Uh, look what happened during the Chechen war in Russia, how they they approached it. Uh, you could have also, you know, the one thing that is I don't think talked about this are the millions of people that would be a humanitarian crisis of refugees 
moving into Western Ukraine, Poland, Hungary, other nations, if this if this did become a full fledged war. Dan, I read an analysis of what was going on uh, early, early this morning, and I wish I could remember the source, but I can't. But it was the second time, second time, maybe even the third time that I've heard speculation in this particular article about uh, use of missiles uh, on, on uh, by Putin. Um, mm-hmm. Some have even suggested uh, that I have read a limited nuclear missile, which seems unthinkable, and I and I almost if I hadn't read it as many times I've read it, I would not even want to mention it uh, (laughs) aloud. But I've read it now in a couple of different places. Why am I reading that? And is that a total is that totally absurd? I don't I don't want to go all Tucker Carlson. (laughs) Right. I I don't want to conflate multiple things. So I think there's separate threads to consider here. One, the Russians do have a strategic nuclear exercise. There was talk of pulling that forward during this crisis to to signal it, i.e. they would have it. They normally would have it later in the year. They want to bring it forward to coincide with these exercises as a sign of strength. So that's one nuclear story. I think that's signaling. I wouldn't be concerned about that. That's what nations do with their nuclear arsenals. It's what happened during the Cold War quite a bit. Uh, On the other hand, still, there is this brinksmanship in the sense that, look, Russians have uh, considerable ballistic missiles, conventional ones that could do quite a bit of damage. They don't need to be nuclear. Uh, But also the Russian doctrine is a a little more, shall we say, flexible when it comes to the use of tactical nukes battlefield nuclear weapons, a different, you know, these aren't the kind that are on a big missile or in a big submarine ready to take out a city. Uh, These are more the kind that would be uh, to take out a whole armored division or something like that to really affect on the battlefield. I don't think either side, though, wants to escalate. No one wants to start to open that Pandora's box to peer into that. Has anybody used any kind of nuclear weapon in in any sort of recent history in any sort of battle uh, not I mean, since we dropped one on nagasaki and so this would this would violate most every nuclear treaty if indeed someone were to say we have a limited impact nuclear missile we can use and we're going to use well it. I, I don't think that would even because of the what, what we term the nuclear taboo there would be no way for Germany to continue to support this. The, the, that crossing that threshold of, of international opinion would be something I don't think even, even Putin would, because they would be a pariah beyond pariahs. You suggesting, therefore, to. that the chances of anything that significant would be I'm, very low. Putin won't cross that line just to go in and swat them and win. Yeah, at that point, we're spiraling towards something that you know, I don't think you're as worried about your investments because you start to wonder about where you can spend your final days with your family. Let me hearken back to the days when I was in high school at Gonzaga College High School at number 19 I Street in Washington, D.C. It is uh, a few couple of blocks from Union Station uh, and therefore about six blocks from the U.S. Capitol building right in the heart of downtown. And way back in the Wayback Machine in the late 1970s, there was a tractor uh, taking of Washington. Uh, we had tractors come into the nation's capital the way these trucks are coming in in Canada. You see the connection there? I wanted to make a bit of a connection. And they blocked huge tractors and combines. And uh, I can't remember the name of the thing, but something like Tractors Take America or Tractors for America, something like that. Uh, We went out to the streets, of course, 
uh, walked out of school because it was very easy to walk out of school back then and stood and talked to the people on their tractors. They were very nice. They gave us tractors across America hats or things like that, that they had uh, to make their, and they shut down. They really did shut down Washington in the middle of the day. We have truckers now shutting down uh, the bridges between Canada and the US and they are shutting down commerce and they are shutting down trade. And there are threats of trying to shut down the Super Bowl with again, uh, a whole uh, phalanx of, of uh, 18 wheelers. So what's going on here and mm -hmm. who's in control of, I mean, we really can't keep bridges open. The can Canadians can't keep a damn bridge open. It's just a damn bridge and their trucks. Get them out of there. Well, I think the Canadians uh, mishandled this protest thinking that it would burn out and it did not. It, it has attracted a, a cadre. And, and for context, we have to remember that this started with some truckers opposed to the vaccine mandates, but you have all sorts of fringe groups now glommed onto this groups the sovereign citizens people who think that the queen's governor general can unseat the prime minister so all the really fringe types of canadian politics have glommed onto this and and we have to remember too 90 percent of canadian truck drivers are vaccinated uh, so is this this is this is really started with a vaccine sort of of, of objection correct. here and uh we're and not then built into a carnival of crazies yeah. yeah, built into a carnival of crazies, the militia types. Uh, it is in Canada, so I guess the Cirque du Soleil du Con of some type. Uh, you know, you have the uh, these people have shut down Ottawa, though. I had a, a, a person in, yeah. uh, in, in good position say, look, a NATO ally and the capital of our number one uh, trading partner, the capital has been shut down and the government's effectively lost control for right now. Well, what, you know, someone said years ago that picking on the Canadians was like picking on a, a golden retriever. I mean, it, it just wasn't a nice thing to do because they were all so mild and gentle. But I get the mild and gentle point, and I love my Canadian neighbors. I really do. I love my Canadian friends here in Naples. But come on, guys, open the damn bridges. We've got to get. We've got to get. Well, back and, that to it's, and no matter what side I think you go on, it, it, it's disrupting business. You hear Ford, Toyota shutting down plants. This goes beyond your political. No, statement this is serious stuff. When you this start is, to affect people's livelihoods, and it and it is, and the plants are shutting down, and it's uh, this is a very big deal um, uh, that could get bigger and probably needs to be nipped in the bud. Uh, peaceful protest and the exercise of free speech. We certainly right. uh, support here on the forecast. Uh, however, when you start to interfere with people's livelihoods, uh, we're going to draw a line. And I think uh, that's that a good contrast people. because those the farmers you recall, they came through, they were friendly. Maybe they disrupted a day. Maybe there was a little more traffic. This isn't encampment. This isn't occupation. No. This isn't shutting down and blocking important arteries. No, people were fairly polite back then. And I think they really tried to get out of there. They came in during, you know, after rush hour. And I think they left before rush hour. Uh, uh, they made their point. You saw all of these. Just like any country folk visiting the city. It was kind of like that. Yes, it was. You know, there was Jed and Granny and there they were in the back of the truck and waving. And it was it was kind of quaint. All right. I read an article in the in the Atlantic, um, uh, Dan, that said uh, uh, the, the definition of presidential and what's happening to the Republican Party. And uh, it was an article that focused on President Trump and how President Trump has tried to change the Republican Party and that there's a bit of a schism that Mitch McConnell led this mm -hmm. week against those that censured um, 
Liz Cheney, right. uh, and and, and um, what's what's going on there? And we saw Vice President Pence come out last week and said the president was wrong when he suggested that Vice President Pence could have uh, overturned that election that mm-hmm. was not within his power constitutionally or otherwise. What do you make of what's going on here? What does it say about the Republican Party? And could this hurt their chances in November of 2022? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. One, I think you have a a DC bubble versus the broader Trumpified grassroots, and Mitch McConnell, Mike Pence, to a certain extent, reflect that. Uh, reflect those still kind of committed to the rule of law and how January. So they're the, so they're in the bubble. They're the outliers. Pence and uh, uh, McConnell are the yeah. Outliers Pence and McConnell's I'd say are the outliers Party. in the Republican Party right now. They're the now. crazy libs in the Republican Party. McConnell and Pence. Yeah, that's the and and the and the structure now is basically how do you believe oh, God the January sixth and the, the other the way legitimacy Dogs are start sleeping with cats. I mean, this is chaos. Yeah, it's ghostbusters territory the apocalypse is starting now get that book out Uh, we need to we need but but at least trump has given mcconnell the nickname old crow he keeps calling him old crow mcconnell mcconnell simply replied that's my favorite bourbon uh and well it's cheap uh yeah and and it, it will never be my favorite bourbon but uh yeah. So uh, this this craziness is 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 hitting. A, is right. Hitting and a you look at the R, because the RNC passed that censure of Kinzinger and Cheney for supporting the January 6th commission. This censure of the two members of Congress said that January 6th was legitimate political discourse. There's a lot of people who have seen that as a as an own goal. It doesn't help going into 2022. Uh, the other thing, again, Michael, as I've said, it's a keeping an eye on these primaries. Do you have the Republicans go with perhaps more of the Yunkin types that can appeal on a broader level, even if they do know so how to what's your call? Because we've got we've got to go. Is this pushing the Republican Party more? It's to pushing the, the Republican Party. No, it's pushing the Republican Party away from the Yunkin stance. Is it, it makes really? the okay. Yunkins answer questions about January 6th that they don't want to talk about. They're going to this is going to push everybody back to Trump's camp. Well, it pulls the it pulls the elect. It's the electeds being pulled by the grassroots, pulled by the grassroots further right. Right. And that could affect the outcome there. Correct. All right, Dan, finally, and we've, we've got to go. I'm sorry, but just give, give just a couple of seconds. Ukraine, does Putin actually go in and do we have a real conflict or not here? Is he still just negotiating? I think we have a danger of a real conflict. OK. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst here on the Farcast. We're going to come back with Gilman Hills, Jenny Harrington, one of your favorites on the Farcast and certainly CNBC. When we come back, please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. 
Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. What a terrific Farcast we're having here today. I always learn so much. Kenny Polcari and Dan Mahaffey, terrific segments. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a great treat. My friend, Jenny Harrington from Gilman Hill Advisors, a CNBC contributor, one of the bright stars in Wall Street's sky, always makes sense. Welcome back, Jenny. Thanks for having me, Michael. Good to see you. We are so glad you're here, and it's really good to see you. And ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be very jealous. I got to have dinner with Jenny last night, and we solved most of the world's problems. Uh, (laughs) Fewer remaining, and we're going to try and solve them here today, right here with you. Jenny, 7.5% on CPI. What do you think? I don't think that much. And I know that sounds kind of bad. Not that? Okay, good. But in anticipation of what was going to come out today, I was having a conversation with my partner, Greg, yesterday, and we were talking about like, okay, what's bad and what's good? What if it comes out at 7.5? What, it comes out, what if it comes out at 6.8? What does that really mean? And I think the reality is, is inflation is so high right now, we all know that that's unsustainable. And we know that there's going to be noise in it. And we know the direction, right? So it doesn't, I don't know that this like 7.5 really tells us anything. Okay, fine. Like it's worse. Maybe maybe it's worse for a little bit longer. But we know that in a year from now, we're not going to be running at these seven and a half um, numbers, right? We know that inflation will ultimately start to moderate. I think where we need to care and where we need to pay attention is when we maybe like three quarters from now or something, when it's four or three. Like that's when the incremental data will really start to matter more or two and a half or three and a half percent. That's when I'm going to care a lot more than I do now. So let's talk about how you see this playing out, because we've seen that at every almost every hiking cycle that the Fed has ever been through, it's led to a recession at some point because they I mean, they're highly correlated. I mean, it's it's like 80, 90 percent of the time Mm -hmm. you get a recession as the Fed starts tightening and the Fed's going to normally oversteps. They go too far, they tighten too much, it cinches to recession, they have to ease a little bit and then we get the party started again. Once the process starts though, we typically have a year, 18 months, could be even two years where markets tend to still do okay, oddly. So Jenny, how how this year do you see this playing out? Give us the path to get back to that three or 4% in the fall that you mentioned. Um. The pat well, I think that's hard. I think the easier thing is how do we, you know, give us the path to having an okay year in the market versus give us a path to having. I'll um, take that. How do I have an okay year in the market? Okay, so I think we're in a very rough period right now. We're adjusting to a new world order. We've been being sloshed with cash for what's it been now? Almost two years, which is huge. Well, I think it's been twelve years. I th- I go back okay, to the Great Financial point. Crisis. I mean, they really haven't taken their foot off the gas. I don't think. Uh, I, I'll give you that all day. And even when they did for a short while, what we what we see is we see a very high correlation between the Fed balance sheet and the S&P 500. So when they did take their foot off the gas for a while, you saw the market plateau. So here we have, okay, asset purchases are going to zero, interest rates are hiking, are going to start to be hiked. Um, and sorry, Fed Fed funds rate is going to start to hike. Yep. We expect yep. interest rates to follow. And then, and then the Fed is likely to start reducing their balance sheet. That's going to be a hard adjustment right? That's just straight up going to change the way asset prices are valued. And I think it's going to be rough, but you pair that with 
the pandemic truly starting to subside. I mean, it's been wonderful this week seeing state after state um, start to change the mask mandates for school kids, right? I have a 13 year old and a 14 year old. I can't wait for us to be in good enough shape for them not to wear a mask to school. Right. We've seen the travel related stocks start to write Marriott, JetBlue, um, Disney, all of these kind of like real legit reopening stocks, like they're reporting unbelievable numbers, right? People are coming Disney's back. Disney's numbers, Disney's numbers for the return to the theme parks were terrific. And you know what? We haven't seen the foreign visitors come back and the foreign visitors spend a lot more. So, I mean, that, that, that those numbers look pretty good. Um, uh, earnings numbers for Disney as we look at these recovery numbers. Ladies and gentlemen, also, just let me interrupt myself. That's not a recommendation to buy or sell a stock or a security. I mean, just because we're talking about it, that's a part of an economic discussion and not a stock picking discussion of any kind. Sorry, Jenny. Uh, our <laughs> compliance department here at Hightower Advisors is uh, our sticklers for that. So <laughs> Hightower Advisors compliance, I am paying attention and I am listening. So I think you have these clashing forces, right? You've got you've got the Fed throwing the wet blanket on on everything as they need to and should. I think that's the right path. But I think you also have some really positive elements coming in. And to your earlier point, how do we get from seven and a half percent inflation numbers to three or four? I don't know, but I know that we're headed in that direction, right? So we know that inflation numbers are most likely going to come down between now and year end. This seven and a half percent is unlikely to sustain. That's positive. We also suspect that supply chains will start to improve as the year goes on. So you have these clashing forces and that's how I see us getting to year end. And maybe it's not a mess, right? It feels pretty messy right now. We're down about what, 4% on the year on the S&P 500. Like that. That's not awful, is it? I mean, I mean, you've got to be down four percent. Yeah, yeah. crying over that. You've got to be pretty greedy, right? What was the market up last year? Twenty-seven percent last year, eighteen uh, percent the year before that, thirty-two percent the year before that. Like you've got to have gotten pretty soft and spoiled to be crying over down four percent. Well, sometimes those uh, squeaky wheels get the grease, and and you can always try to cry, but. Uh, you know, I keep reminding folks, Jenny, that we are dealing, the Federal Reserve is dealing with a, a completely different problem this time. For the past 10 or 12 years, they've been trying to keep the economy going. They've been trying to save the economy, keep it moving, try and get a little bit of demand going, try and get a little bit of inflation. We've got a good, strong economy. The economy is running too hot. So it's a completely different deal when we have to try and put, tap the brakes, when we have to try and slow something that's gotten too good. Uh, it feels bad with COVID. And we just saw the 10-year Treasury touch and tick over that 2% level. I don't think that that's any great crisis. But people, all of a sudden, I mean, you are a focused income investor. Uh, what do these higher rates mean to you? I mean, I can hear a lot of my older clients saying, finally. I mean, that's the first time since 2019 we've seen it back above 2%. Right. So this is tough too, right? Everything's, everything's hard right now. I think historically, when people have talked about dividend stocks or income-related stocks, there was a fear that higher interest rates would be negative for income-related stocks. That is not the case right now. Interest rates, the 10-year treasury is still so low. Okay, so let me just back up for one sec. The fear was because the idea was that bonds would become a competitive threat to, in, to income-related right. equity. We're so far from that that that's just off the table. 
higher interest rates right now are a problem for the super high tech stocks that depend on that discounted cash flow analysis to support their valuations. For the dividend stocks, like that's not what you need to worry about now. Let's talk about that when we see the 10-year treasury between three and a half and 4%. And I think that's so far out that I don't think you and I are going to be having that conversation for at least two years, maybe longer. Um, and then you can get into supply demand uh, elements and why the 10-year will probably stay lower. Okay. But if you're a bond investor, you might actually start to get return for your bonds. And yes. now you've got now you've got a push and a pull too. Because you know what? If you're holding bonds now, and if you're holding bond funds now, they're probably negative on the year. We've yes. been in a, what is it, Michael, 35-year bull market for bonds. And anyone who's held bonds has had the wonderful dual blessing of seeing their asset prices, their bonds or their bond funds go up and they've gotten the income from it. Right now, you're probably likely to see capital depreciation in your bonds or bond funds if you've been holding them for a while. But the flip side is if you're just starting to buy bonds, you might be able to get more income or more return off of them than you've gotten in a very long time. I'd so hate to tell you how many, I mean, uh, when I started in this business and started trading bonds, uh, there were plenty of 10% bonds, uh, bond funds, investment grade bond funds, government bond funds were paying 12%. General Electric paper was the AAA gold standard on top of treasuries. I remember buying those bonds at 10 and a quarter percent. So yeah, watching these rates fall that whole time has, has been an amazing experience. And we've seen an enormous economic expansion. But uh, you, you do look at those things that, that, that um, have a little bit higher fixed costs. And it, I agree with you. It's going to be a while. You, 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 we used to look at utilities always to trade inversely with, with, with yields, uh, with, with treasuries you know, and yields. Uh, so as the, as the yields went higher, we expected those utilities. They're not going to expand. They're no growth companies. They only trade on the dividend, and they typically are spread to treasuries. But 2% to even a 5.5%, 5% utility, it's still a big gap. I don't think we're going to start. Yeah. We're, we're not going to start trading on spreads there, are we? I don't think so. And it's interesting because if you look at the Dow Jones Select Dividend Index, it was up 32% last year. Um, yeah. If you look at it this year, it's actually up a smidge while the rest of the market's down. So you really see that that is no longer connected um, in, a, in an inverse correlation the way it used to be. What are you going to tell clients now uh, as we're well into this beginning of 2022? Mm-hmm. What are you telling your clients? Uh, and and Jenny runs a runs a, a terrific firm based in Connecticut, but she is a very disciplined income investor, and she has a focused 5% return dividend portfolio. What are you telling your investors for this year? I mean, sometimes the price appreciation, go, or the prices go against you. You still generate your 5% but, uh, for, your, for your clients. But t- tell us what they should be expecting this year and maybe the next couple of years. So, over, okay, so this is, this is a hard, you know, it's kind of a hard concept, but Historically, I write this market letter every quarter, and historically, there is a section about looking forward. And historically, looking forward for my portfolio was the same as looking forward for the broader market. And then about a year and a half ago, I had to carve them out. So when I look forward for my portfolio, I'm actually pretty positive. I have a portfolio that trades at about 12 and a half times forward earnings and has a 5%, as you mentioned, dividend yield. That outlook is very different for that of the broader market. So I feel like when I'm talking to my clients, I'm always talking out of both sides of my mouth, where I say like, I'm pretty unenthusiastic about the market. You know, like, hey, maybe we end up flat on the market a little bit for the year. Maybe it's down a little bit. I don't know. Don't be greedy. But then for our portfolio, 
I actually think that we could do quite well because what we're seeing is we're seeing rotation. We're seeing mean reversion. It does not make sense that the companies that I invest in trade at a 12 and a half times forward multiple, right? It's just, these are great companies. They have average earnings growth in the high single digit to like low double digit range. That doesn't make sense. So as we see this overall broader market start to mean reverse and, and rotate into, and this is hard to define, but like into, I would say the have nots and the haves, or I've yes. also redefined it as the logical valuation stocks versus the illogical valuation stocks. I actually think for a strategy like mine, I'm, I'm like really well positioned, you know, and I, I'm uncomfortable being enthusiastic because I'm generally pretty, um, I don't know, tepid or, or I don't well, want to you're say cautious, you know, you're I'm cautious, very and, cautious. And, and uh, as I've said, there are only two types of investors, those who have been humbled and those who are about to be. And it's usually <laughs> when you think you've got it just right. Uh, we, too, in our portfolio uh, have focused on those balance sheets. Our listeners have heard me talk about balance sheets and cash flow and those uh, less expensive companies that can ride out a storm make a great deal of sense. Now you mentioned your quarterly letter and we're, I can't believe it, we're out of time. We gotta, we gotta get moving here, but your quarterly letter, which I read every quarter, it's absolutely excellent. Is that just for clients or can people subscribe to that? Can they get that or not? It's just for clients, but you get it's it. It's just for clients. Okay. <laughs> and well, friends. I get it. And, and, friends. And, 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 I, and, I, and I love it. And I will tell you that um, uh, Jenny's business has been growing at, uh, at really uh, at admirable pace. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm never one of those, never been one of those people in the business that thinks that uh, this is a zero sum game that somehow, uh, by, uh, uh saying something bad about Jenny Harrington, that my business is going to do better. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not, abs it's absolutely not true. She runs a really good business and it ought to do really well. Um, uh, and I think our business has, has done well and will continue to do well. So lots of, lots of room out there to help clients. And the one thing that I can tell you. We've gotten to know one another pretty well, Jenny and I, and she's kind enough to sit on the uh, Sibley Hospital Investment Committee with me, and we work on this, uh, these institutional portfolios together. When you sit down and talk with Jenny Harrington, what comes across is uh, how committed she is to her clients, how much she cares about her clients. You sit down with Jenny and she starts talking to you about grandparents and grandchildren, and, and, and it's not a discussion of PEs. And I always admire that, Jenny. Thank you. Uh, tell us what uh, Fred and Ethel should be thinking as they look forward to this, to this year. They're looking at their 401ks and they're a little nervous right now. Yeah, I'd be really careful about succumbing to too much headline news and headline noise. And that kind of is the point exactly this morning. Like, don't get all fired up about that seven and a half percent number. That's a temporary thing. Um, we're on a path to normalization and moderation. And we've got had it really good for the past three years and frankly, for the past decade. So just try and tune out the noise. Enjoy the fact that your portfolios are at a high at a high number. And I would say just try not to worry too much about what lies ahead this year. Maybe, maybe go golfing. Maybe go golfing. I like that <laughs> advice. I'm going to say I'm here because Jenny told me to be here. Remember that old fish market advice, folks. When you're in the fish market, you ignore the yelling and the screaming and you pay attention to the price of fish. We pay attention to Jenny Harrington here on the Farcast, president of Gilman Hill Advisors and, of course, a CNBC contributor and my buddy. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another forecast. We will be back next week as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world in Naples, Florida, heading to Washington, D.C. later this afternoon. I'm Michael Farr.
Thanks for being with us on this week's edition of the Farcast. Thanks to Michael's guests, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and from Gilman Hill, Jenny Harrington. We love hearing from you every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farr, Miller, and Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farr, Miller, and Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Please share the Farcast with friends and colleagues. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller and Washington LLC is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representation or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements, errors, or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.